Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then jump to verse 15 with me. I'll read verses 15 to 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him And make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We, we join the, the words and the music that we sing and we still say it. We still sing it. Father, would you send your spirit to open our eyes, to remove the darkness from our minds, to convince us of our sin and lead us to Jesus' blood. Holy Spirit, would you help us now as we come to this word that you have inspired, this word that you have given to us. We come assured that it's from you and we come assured that you are present and you are active through this word. And so we ask that you would help us to be attentive. We ask that not only our minds would be open, but our hearts as well. To receive your words, to receive your work, to be assured and changed by them. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, My daughter, who uh, when she was a baby, went through a stage where she was very attached to her daddy. 
And I, I remember especially coming home for lunch some days. And I'd be home for 30, 45 minutes. And I remember especially the, the tears and the clinging and the, the leaning towards me as I tried to walk out the door and go back to work. Many of you who are parents, you have known that stage with your children. That stage when they will not go to anyone but you. And we know that we have to train them for independence. And we know that they can't remain attached forever. But, but isn't your heart at times drawn to that? Do you respond to that? Aren't you drawn to those tears, to that leaning towards you, to that desire to cling? I wonder if that's some of what Jesus was experiencing here in John chapter 14. As he spoke to the troubled hearts, the anxious hearts of his disciples. You see, he was about to walk out the door. Jesus was about to leave. Through his cross and his resurrection and his ascension, he was going to the Father and he would no longer be physically present with his disciples in the same way that he had been. They could no longer cling to him, see him, touch him in the way that they had. Their attachment to him was going to have to change. And so Jesus speaks here and he prepares them and us for his absence. Jesus, in this chapter and throughout this section of the Gospel of John, is preparing his church for his absence. And isn't the absence of Jesus one of the greatest struggles, one of the greatest problems of the Christian faith? Both intellectually and experientially. We talk a lot about Jesus, but we can't say, here, here he is. Touch him. Ask him your questions as you would me. Jesus is absent and it is troubling. It is anxiety inducing because the light of the world he has left. He has left and he has left us to deal with darkness. He has left us to deal with what, is, with what is often a frightening experience, this world and our lives in it. But even knowing he was going to do that, he said to his disciples and he said to us, don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. How can he say that? With him leaving, how can he say to us, don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. How do we deal, live, with the absence of Jesus? Well, I want us to bring those concerning, disturbing questions to this text. And I think here we find Jesus responding to, the troubling ab- to his troubling absence with presence. That's... C-E, not T-S, all right? He responds to his absence with presence in two parts, presence in the future and presence in the present. So first of all, presence in the future. Jesus left on purpose. 
He walked out the door with a design. Jesus left for the sake of a construction project. He left to build something. He says to his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. A place that he calls his father's house. And motivating this construction project is the deep biblical expectation and longing that God will dwell, will live, will be near to and with His people. This language in John 14 evokes the long history of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. You remember that structure, that house? It is the the place where God's presence uniquely lived with His people. And the history of that house in the Old Testament comes to understand that the, the earthly temple wasn't enough. The earthly temple was just a hint. It was just an expectation. It was just a pale shadow. Of the heavenly reality of God's presence. And so the history of the temple comes to expect that God will expand the experience of the temple. That one day he will build something new and well he will bring all of his people and all of his creation even closer. Closer to the heavenly reality of his presence. You see... The Father's house here in John 14 is what the temple wanted to be when it grew up. This is that expected expansion. And Jesus gives to John an even greater vision of this, written down in another book of the New Testament, the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Where here he speaks to John of the Father's house, there John sees a new creation. All things made new. And in that new creation, the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where the temple was, the place of God's presence, descends. Heaven, the heavenly presence, comes to earth. And John says, in that new creation, there is no need for a temple. Why? Because the presence of God no longer matters? No, because God's presence is so extensively there. So profoundly close to all things that the whole creation has become the temple of God. Because God so uniquely and powerfully dwells there. That's the construction project for which Jesus left. He is absent for the sake of Of that presence. For the sake of that future. Now that might be interesting to some of you Bible geeks. But this is supposed to be comforting. Right? How is that comforting? How is that construction project, that future, how is it comforting? Well notice that Jesus doesn't call it God's house. He calls it the Father's house. And throughout this text, he talks about family relationships. He talks about family relationships within God. 
God is Father, Son, and Spirit. This text is one of the reasons that we confess God as both one and three. One God, not three gods, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've gone to the history class on Sunday mornings, you know how the church has wrestled mightily with how to articulate that reality, that truth. God as one and three. And even our best articulations of that and the creeds that we confess, they're just stammering, stumbling attempts to name that profound and mysterious truth. And Jesus speaks of that truth here, but he is not giving us a lesson in the theory of inter-Trinitarian relationships. (laughs) Jesus is connecting us to the Trinity. He's not just talking about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is connecting us to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not just talking about family relationships within God. He is talking about the family relationships into which He brings us with God. It's the Father's house. And Jesus here is speaking according to the marriage customs of that day. You see, when a a man and a woman decided to get married, they didn't set a wedding date. The groom started a construction project. When you got engaged, the groom started a construction project. He went to his family home and started building an expansion on that home. And only when that expansion was done would he then process through the village with great fanfare, go and get his bride and bring her to his father's house, to her new home, to her new family. That is the analogy of Jesus' absence. He has gone as our husband our groom, so that he can return and bring his bride, the church, into his father's house, our new family. He has gone to bring us into a home that even in our best moments we have only longed for but never experienced. You see, this promise This future, it is comforting because we're all like Simon and Garfunkel. We all want to be homeward bound. We were made with that desire to be homeward bound. We want our lives to be headed in the direction of security, of nourishment, of healing, of rest, of a deep belonging where everything fits. We long to be home. A home that the best families can't do. Can't accomplish. And we are so troubled and we are so anxious because we long for that. But we don't know if we'll ever have it. We long for that. But we don't know if we ever have it. We experience the deep sense of loneliness 
that has been a part of the human experience since Adam and Eve walked east of Eden. We fear abandonment. We look at death coming. And we know the reality that from our perspective, everybody dies alone. And we fear that abandonment. We fear that loss. We fear that our longing for a home will never be met. And Jesus is saying, because I'm going, your life has direction. Because I am absent, your life is headed to a home that you can't even imagine. That is the comfort of this text. The comfort of this text is that your life is not without direction. The comfort of this text is that that deep longing, that deep loneliness in your life, the moment of your, the loneliest moment of your life, still, if you are in Jesus, is headed in the direction of the Father's house. The consolation of this text is the consolation of a mountain hiking guidebook. That shows you a picture of the peak. So that while you're on the trail and you have gone through so many twists and turns and switchbacks, you're no longer sure that trail is headed anywhere. It assures you it is. It assures you there is a destination and it is glorious and it is beautiful. That is the consolation of this text because in your life, This week, maybe, you'll feel lost. You will feel that loneliness. You will wonder if your life has direction. And if you are in Jesus by faith, his absence means direction for you. His absence means a future home for you. But that is an incomplete comfort. That is an incomplete comfort. And not only because of how we feel it. And we do feel the incompleteness of that comfort, don't we? But that is an incomplete comfort, not only because of how we feel it, but because of how Jesus teaches it. Jesus says, don't be troubled, don't be anxious, not just because of a future presence, but because of a present presence. Secondly, Jesus says, don't be troubled, don't be anxious, because you will experience a presence then, but you will also experience a presence now. Jesus leaves not only for the sake of a construction project, he leaves for the sake of sending someone else. Verse 16, he says, I go to the Father and I'm going to ask Him and He is going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit. Who will come, verse 17, He will come and He will dwell with you. That verb dwell is the verb form of the noun house. 
in verse 2. If you take house in verse 2 and turn it into a verb, it's the verb dwell. So see, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He is the present partial experience of the Father's house. The Holy Spirit is our home away from home. He is our home away from home. As I've said before, because of the Spirit, Christians are like hermit crabs. We take our home with us. He is the experience, the partial experience of the Father's house, the Father's presence, even now. And He was that for Jesus. At the beginning of this gospel, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and he says, I saw the spirit descend on him like a dove and it descended on him and it remained on him. That word remain is in the same family of words as dwell and home. The spirit came and made his home with Jesus. And John says, because of that, I witnessed him as the son of God. See, the Spirit was the sign and the experience of Jesus' sonship. The Spirit was the presence of mutual love and belonging between Father and Son. That's why in the other Gospels, in that baptism scene, God's voice rings out and says, as the Spirit, as a dove is descended, the Father's voice says, this is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us, here you go. That presence of love and belonging between Father and Son, it's yours. I'm giving him to you the experience of belonging to the Father, the assurance of the love of the Father that Jesus Himself knew. He gives to us now. Now that's a, that's a bit vague and a little weird. Let's be honest. So let's ask, how does the Spirit do that? How does the Spirit in our lives fulfill the role of being our home away from home? While we wait for the fullness of the Father's house. We'll notice that in verse 16 and 17, pardon me, verse 17, the Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. In verse 26, it says that He teaches. It says that He reminds. The Spirit here is called, what my translation says, a helper. Other translations say counselor. Uh, Some translations, and this is probably the best, say advocate. This word is taken from the legal realm and is someone in court who speaks on behalf of someone else. So lawyers enjoy your profession being treated positively here. (laughs) The Spirit speaks. The Spirit, He is a communicative presence. To say that He is the presence of God's love is not to say He's this kind of generalized, warm, fuzzy feeling. No, He is communicative. He 
teaches, he reminds, he speaks. And on whose behalf does the Spirit speak? He speaks on behalf of the Son. And because of their unity, he speaks on behalf of the Father and the Son. Jesus says he's going to remind you of what I told you. He's going to teach you what I taught you. The Spirit speaks on behalf of the Father and Son, and He communicates the message of and about the Father and the Son. The Spirit is the communicative presence of what God has done by sending Jesus. That's why if you're doing community Bible reading with us tomorrow, you will read Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, Jesus teaches the promise he makes here. And he pours out the Spirit on the church, on his disciples. And how is that visualized? How does the Spirit show up visually? Tongues of fire that enable the disciples to do what? To feel a warm, fuzzy feeling? No, to speak. To communicate the gospel, the message of and about Jesus to all the nations. And what is the heart of that message? Of the Father coming through the Son? The heart of that message is there in verse 6 of our text. It is Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You see, the Spirit is our home away from home. Because He speaks of our belonging to the Father through the Son. The Spirit is our home away from home because He speaks of our belonging to the Father through the Son. Isn't that what we heard earlier in our service in the assurance of pardon after the confession of sin? Paul in Galatians, he says it in Romans 2. The Spirit of God is sent into your life. And you know, sometimes we talk about the Spirit tells me this and the Spirit tells me that. And that gets complicated. How do you distinguish if it's the Spirit's voice or not? I don't know. But here's one thing I do know. Here's one thing I know the Spirit says in your life. This week, right now. Because Paul told us he says it. The Spirit has been sent into our lives crying what? Abba, Father. The Spirit is our home away from home because He speaks of our belonging to the Father through the Son. He speaks of the security of the Father's love. He speaks of our access to the Father in prayer. And He speaks of the mission and purpose that we have been given because we belong to the family of God. I saw a video a couple of months ago that made me tear up, made me cry. And it's one of those, it's, it's a video, it's a type of video that gets passed around the internet every once in a while. But it, it was a video of a, of, a, of a boy who had been born with significant hearing loss. But it was a hearing loss that was correctable by a medical procedure. And the video is of him sitting in his mom's lap and the doctor taking off the bandages and the gauze from his ears after the medical procedure. And he, before they take him off, he's sitting there and the, the, the baby is screaming and crying and they pull the bandages and gauze off and he stops because his mom is talking to him. And he hears his mom's voice for the first time in his life and his crying stops and this, this look of wonder 
takes over his face and he looks at his mom and breaks into this huge smile. That's the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. Taking off the bandage and the gauze and the deafness to God and enabling us to hear the Father's voice saying, You are mine. You are mine. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. So Jesus has not left us alone. He has promised a presence in the future, but He's promised a presence now. So the the absence of Jesus does not mean the abandonment of Jesus. No, in many ways He is closer, He is nearer to us than He was to His disciples. The absence of Jesus does not mean the abandonment of Jesus. He does not say to us in our troubled and anxious hearts, stop, don't desire to embrace me. Don't desire to cling to me. No, he he embraces us. He embraces us with the voice and the presence of the Holy Spirit who assures us of our belonging. And that embrace, the embrace of Jesus, it doesn't weaken over time. It doesn't weaken with death. But it draws us ever closer into the life-giving presence of God. So what voice are you going to listen to this week? Are you going to listen to the voice of your fear? Are you going to listen to the voice of your guilt? Are you going to listen to the voice of your bitterness? Your anger? Will you hear the voice of Jesus through His Spirit saying, You are mine, and you will always be mine. And I have gone so that I can come and bring you home. Let's pray.